The theme of the day is how acceptance changes everything. Today's Bible reading comes from the book of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of our Lord. Over to you, Peter. Let's pray. Father God, uh, along with St Paul from Ephesians chapter 1, we pray that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we may come to know you personally and intimately, that we may know the power of your resurrection, and that we may minister Jesus with the same open heart of acceptance that you did. And so we welcome you, and we open our hearts to you, Jesus. Amen. It's good to be here with you, not only uh, this week, but I'm also back again next week, and I look forward to, to that. One of the first things I do when I get invited uh, to go to a place is I look up the three-year lectionary and see what's the reading for today. And the gospel reading for today is one of my favourite, Luke chapter 19, Jesus and Zacchaeus. And so I've been thinking about this for a, for a couple of weeks and as I've been thinking about it and reflecting on it, not a story, an encounter, as I've been reflecting on this encounter, I've realised just how powerful it is. And, and, and again, the, the richness of looking at Jesus every day and seeing, what did Jesus do? How did Jesus respond? How did Jesus carry things out? How did Jesus bring the, the, the richness of heaven to ordinary individuals? And I had this revelation. And my revelation was this, that when God created us right back at the beginning of time, before time, or after time was created, God created humans, he created us in his image. And when God created us in his image, that means he created us in his likeness. We, we represent God. And in his image, uh, he gave us three things. He gave us intimacy with him. That means we get to know God personally. We get to talk to him. We get, we get to know his heartbeat. He, he doesn't keep secrets from us. Secondly, out of that intimacy with God, we have intimacy with each other. When God created Adam and Eve, they were naked and not ashamed. In other words, there was, there was nothing embarrassing about it. There were, there were no um, secrets that they kept from each other. And thirdly, he created us with freedom. He said to Adam and Eve, you know, you're free to eat from any fruit of the tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And of course there was a choice, because without choice there's no freedom. And when sin entered the world, those three things were destroyed. Freedom, 
became bondage. Intimacy with God was cut off and straight away Adam and Eve run into hiding. And intimacy between man and woman was destroyed. Adam and Eve, it says, they knew they were naked and they clothed themselves. All of a sudden there's, there's shame, there's, there's stigma, there's embarrassment, there's a lack of connection. What God has done in the person of Jesus Christ is God himself has entered this world not just to clean you up and make you fit for heaven, but Jesus has entered the world to restore you to the original image which you were created in. He doesn't just take a little bit of your heart and polish it. He doesn't sandpaper off a little bit of anger. He doesn't bevel off a rough edge of jealousy or envy. He doesn't take a lathe or a plane to a little bit of of lust and licentiousness. No, he creates a totally brand new heart. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Totally, completely restored, recreated in the image that we were originally created with. Even though we are in a broken world, we walk around, as the Bible says in 1 Peter, as God-bearers. We carry within us God because we are recreated in his image. We are not God, but we are recreated to carry him. How do we do this? How do we carry the image of God to other people? How does Jesus bring the restoration of this image to us? We get to see a glimpse of it in the gospel for today from Luke 19. We have a tarnished creation. His name is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is up a tree trying to get a glimpse on this guy who has come to town and Jesus walks towards the tree. As Jesus walks towards Zacchaeus, and here's the key question of this message, as Jesus walks towards Zacchaeus, what does he see? He sees a person created in the image of God. With a broken image, but created in the image of God. I can tell you what Jesus doesn't see as he walks towards the tree. He doesn't see a swindler. He doesn't see a chief tax collector. He doesn't see a thief. He doesn't see a lonely person, even though Zacchaeus, by observation, is all of those. Jesus sees a person to be loved. He sees a person who needs acceptance. Do you know your starting point changes everything? If you see a swindler, if you see a person who has cheated other people, if you see a person who has uh, ridden roughshod over other people in order to get to a high position, then your starting point is one of sort of disgust or, or judgment or you're not worth it. Or why should we have anything to do with you? Or you're lonely? Well, that's what you deserve if you're going to have the lifestyle you have. If that's your starting point, then rejection, judgmentalism, aloofness, keeping your distance becomes the method of operation. But if we see a person as a person with a fallen image that needs to be restored, and the only way it can be restored is through acceptance, it changes your actions. You see, you can't change what you don't love, and you can't love what you're not close to. You see, Jesus wasn't going to stay in Jericho. It says in in chapter 19, verse 1, Jesus was going to pass through Jericho. 
But God the Father spoke to Jesus and he responded and he has an audience of one. Do you know, if every Christian in the world, every single person who claims to be a Christian in the world lived out the acceptance that we're going to talk about this morning, the world would be a vastly different place. You can have global evangelism campaigns, you can have crusades, you can write petitions to parliament to try and bring morality back in a society, whatever, whatever that means, or, or you can look at Jesus, who never did any of those things. You know, last time I looked, when Jesus left this earth, the Romans were still in power in Israel. Jesus didn't come to meet every need, but he came to see that every need was met. And how do you see that every need is met? You empower every single individual to be a need meter where they are. Jesus meets the global need for restoration with the Father, but when he left this earth, there were still lonely people, there were still blind people, there were still beggars, there were still lepers, the Romans were still in control, there were still dissent and problems. See, he didn't come to meet every need, but he came to see that every need is met. And he did that by empowering you and me to live in the fullness of his spirit so that we would minister as he ministers, that we would act as he acts, that we would take the example that he did. And he shows it here as he comes toward the tree for the the worst layabout in town, the one that everyone else has rejected. And he says, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down. I must come to your house today. Jesus brings a ministry of acceptance, of inclusion, of connection. He doesn't say, oh, I'm going to keep a distance from you because your values are different from mine, your attitudes are different, or I don't like the way you carry on, or that kind of music's off to me, or the way you worship, that's really wrong. He's inclusive, he's generous, he's engaging. In Jesus, you see the character of God lived out in action. And what's the character of God? Well, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, humility, faithfulness, and self-control. And so Jesus comes to the one person in town that no one else has anything to do with, and he says, Zacchaeus, you and me, let's do lunch. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall. You know, I've got a vivid imagination, and next week I'm going to be talking about... uh, how questions are the most empowering way of of doing ministry. And and I was thinking about that uh, the last couple of days. I think, I don't reckon Jesus made many exclamation marks when he was in having lunch with Zacchaeus. But I reckon there were a lot of question marks. So Zacchaeus, how did you get into the whole taxation business? Zacchaeus, this working for the Romans business, how did that begin? How did that work for you? And he he would have found out what happened in his heart. And you see, as we connect with what happens in people's hearts, and as we bring good news to sad hearts, people experience something different. What I do know, while while I don't know what was asked and what was said in lunch, I do know what Jesus said after lunch. (laughs) And after lunch, he gets up and he says to the crowd, remember, remember in the Bible reading, it says, when Jesus was going to Zacchaeus' house, Everyone grumbled. I love that translation. They grumbled. And they murmured because Jesus has gone to the house of a, inverted commas, sinner. 
And afterwards, so everyone has said, this man's a sinner, which means he's not kosher. Now afterwards, Jesus stands up and says, I tell you, this man, he is a son of Abraham. He's a son. When God created us in his image, what did he create us as? Sons and daughters. When creation, when, when humans rebelled against God, what happened? They said, we're too bad to be your sons and daughters. We know you're a good father, but you don't want children like us. So Adam and Eve go and hide. You know that from when you were a kid, don't you? You do something wrong, you hide. And the human race has been in hiding ever since. We don't have a morality problem. We've got a hiding problem. And why do we have a hiding problem? Because a lot of Christianity has said that if you do that, you'll get nuked. If you do that, you're in trouble. If you do that, God won't love you. And Jesus comes and says, oh, that's not true. That's a travesty. My father's not like that. And so if you're into points, there's six points. Acceptance with an arrow leads to identity. Jesus comes and he accepts Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus responds to that acceptance and Jesus says, this man is a son of Abraham. His identity is not tax collector. His identity is not rip-off merchant. His identity is not lonely person. His identity isn't even, oh, I'm the one that came, that hosted Jesus for lunch. No, his identity is son. That's the restoration of his image. That's the new creation. Identity, uh, acceptance leads to identity. And then we see that out of that identity in the next line, there's this word belonging. And belonging has an arrow that goes to believing. You see, we often start with believing. What do you believe about God? What do you believe about God? What do you believe about this point? What do you believe about politics? Uh, People, you know this by experience, folks. People don't give a rat's what you believe if they don't know that they belong. And the biggest need in our society today that flows out of a need for acceptance is a need to belong. And if we don't give people a sense of belonging as brothers and sisters in Christ, they will get their sense of belonging from the bikey club, from the card club, from the footy club. They'll, they'll, they'll get a sense of belonging anywhere. It leads people to very sad places. But if someone includes them, if someone welcomes them, if someone accepts them, if someone laughs at their joke, if someone listens to them and people get that sense of belonging, that's where they'll sign up, regardless of what those people believe. Because the human need for belonging trumps what people believe. And over time, people's beliefs morph into the belief system of that group that gives them a sense of belonging. They never decided to believe that. It's just that these people accepted them. And so then over time, they began to believe that. So, out of the acceptance that we receive and the identity that is restored, we give people a sense of belonging. And what does belonging look like? Open your heart, open your home, open your fridge. Have them around for dinner. Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. You've got neighbours, you've got friends, you've got family. Belonging means getting up close and personal and listening to their story, asking the question, the expensive thing for us in our society today is that belonging is spelt T-I-M-E. But do you know, if you're not on 15 committees, you can do that. You've got the time. You've got the engagement. And then 
as belong, as people get that sense of belonging, they want to know what we believe. Then as people grow in belief, what happens? They develop, line three, convictions. These are things that they're now rock solid on. These are things that are the the ground, the the, the groundwork of their, their faith and what they believe. Zacchaeus experiences acceptance, is called a son, experiences a sense of belonging, has come to believe some things about Jesus. And now out of that, he now comes to the realization, you know what? I'm going to give away half of all my wealth. That's a conviction that he's got. Well, his conviction is that, is that he's secure in Jesus, actually. That's now his practice, because convictions lead to practices. And his practice is, I'm going to give away half of what I own, and if I've ripped anyone off, I'm going to repay them four times the amount. Why, why could Zacchaeus adopt that as a practice? Because he's got a conviction about his security in Jesus. And his security comes because he now believes that Jesus is the one who gives him security because he's experienced belonging in Jesus because of his identity, because Jesus accepted him. Here's the problem. The problem is that you and I and many people, especially in Western Christianity, out of good hearts and good intention, we start by trying to get people to conform to a set of practices or habits. Yeah, someone said to me in between the service, they said, oh, look, I, I hear what you are saying, but I think it's really good that my grandkids who don't worship observe my habit of going to worship. I said, that is good, but it's not your starting point. I said, because I know many, many people who have great practices, but don't practice acceptance. And I hope I don't do anything rude. <laughs> but when people observe practices, but they don't experience acceptance, there's a certain finger that they point in your direction. And they say, I don't give a rat's about your practices because they haven't experienced acceptance and belonging. And folks, that's my sociological observation on what's happened to much of Christianity in Australia. We haven't been given a spirit of slavery to lead us back to fear, we heard from Romans 8 earlier. But when we live as slaves, then we become fearful. And when we become fearful, we have a fear-based response. And so the rise of conspiracy theories amongst Christians, the rise of, a, of an ultra-right wing where Christians think the only response is to legislate something or to form a religious party about it or to have endless statements about it as if, as if that is the answer to the, uh, the epidemic. But the epidemic is fear-based and, and the fear-based comes because people don't know whose they are and when they don't know whose they are, they don't know who they are and the only way they can know who they are and whose they are is when they experience acceptance in us and have a sense of belonging and come to see that outside of their behaviour, outside of their, their income, outside of their belief system, they've experienced a belonging that changes everything. Some of you have heard this story before. I apologise about that. I don't apologise for those of you who haven't heard it. But when Julie and I were in Campbelltown in New South Wales, um, we ended up with three young adults uh, living with us, one of them for four years, one of them for three years, and one of them for one year. And they'd come out of uh, drug addiction. 
um, we became very close to them and especially close to one of them who we'll call Beth. And she saw us as a mum and dad. Then in 1996, we came across here and uh, we stayed in contact with her for a while. Uh, well, for a long time. But then for various reasons in her life, she changed her name a couple of times, changed her contact details, etc. Because uh, there was some abusive stuff from her background which was raising its head again. Then we found ourselves in Katoomba in New South Wales where Julie was doing a, an Elijah House prayer counselling course for a week. I'd just run the Sydney Marathon so I couldn't walk. I was recovering. And uh, I remembered that Beth lived around that area somewhere. So I tried her phone number. No, it didn't work. thought, surely she's not on Facebook still. Tried Messenger. Got a message back. Patchy, is that you? She knew me when my hair started to go. Patchy, is that you? I said, yes, this is Patches. And uh, anyway, we were messaging back and forth. And then finally we said, this is ridiculous. Why don't we actually phone each other? <laughs> so we phoned each other. And I said, where are you? She said, I'm at Mount Victoria or something like that, an hour away. And I said, look, I'm, I'm here for the week. Why, why don't we catch up? And she said, I'm coming to Katoomba for therapy tomorrow. She was in therapy twice a week. And uh, I said, that's fantastic. She said, and tomorrow's my 40th birthday. Isn't that amazing? Only the Holy Spirit could arrange for us to be there and for her to be there on her 40th birthday. So we arranged where we were going to meet the next day and I was going to take her out for lunch. And she said, oh, Peter, before... And I said, it's okay, Beth, you don't have to tell me. And she said, tell you what? And I said, I know, you're gay. And she said, how do you know I'm gay? Who told you? And I said, the Holy Spirit did. She goes, when? And I said, about seven seconds ago. <laughs> I said, I didn't know it, but when you said something, I said, all of a sudden it was in my head... And she said, do you still want to do lunch tomorrow? I said, Beth, of course I still want to do lunch tomorrow. So here's Beth, after therapy. She told me later on she'd had this dream. She didn't know whether it was a dream or a vision, or a, but it was a longing deep in her heart where she would be embraced by either Julie or myself. And so here she is coming out of therapy and on her 40th birthday, in the main street of Katoomba, I embrace her and she cries and cries and cries into my shoulder. Then we go for lunch. And for the next three hours, Beth tried every trick in the book. This was in the lead up to the, the, the referendum, the vote in Australia on same-sex marriage. And Beth tried every trick in the book she could to get me to tell her what my position on same-sex marriage was and what I was going to vote. And I successfully navigated using every trick in the book not to answer her question <laughs> until it came to the point where she said, I know what you think because you're not telling me. You're just like the rest of them. And I said, Beth, look into my eyes. Who took you in off the street? Who gave you a place to stay, etc., etc.? And then she started crying again. And she said, I'm sorry for saying that. And then she again said, but tell me, why won't you tell me what you're voting? And I said, because if I say I am voting in favour of same-sex marriage, then you will say, oh, Peter has endorsed my choice of sexuality and you will take my assent as your belief system. And if I say I'm voting against it, you will say, ha, just as I thought. 
you aren't in favor of me and you don't love me. And I said, here's the whole reason why I'm not telling you what I'm voting. Because, Beth, your identity is not determined by your sexuality. Just like my identity isn't determined by my anger, my identity isn't determined by my lust, my anger isn't, my identity isn't determined by my bad days. God loves me on my bad days and he loves me on my good days. He doesn't love me any better or any more on my, my good days and he doesn't love me any less on my bad days because he's consistent, he's faithful, he's true, he's not fickle, he's not a human. And acceptance is the currency of the kingdom. Acceptance is how the kingdom of God comes to people one life at a time, one person at a time. And so while practices are good, and I encourage you in your practices, practices come out of convictions. Example, if my conviction is the word of God is reliable and helpful, then you may have a practice where someone reads one verse a day, someone listens to a chapter one week, Someone uh, rings someone up and they share Bible verses over the page. Uh, someone at five o'clock sets the alarm and gets up and reads a Bible verse with it. You've got about a thousand different practices to come out of that conviction that the word of God is important. So practices can't be our starting point. So if your practice in your family and with your relatives is to worship God, that's great. But please don't make your starting point with your non-Christian family members. It'd be great to see you in church sometime because it doesn't work. They just get rebellious. They just get resentful. What if we started up here with acceptance? What if it looked like an apology? I'm sorry that the last three times you've got together I've tried to badge you to come to church with me. You know, I know that you've heard about Jesus and I just want to say that I'm sorry for that. I've discovered what it means to be a son or a daughter of God before a church attender. I still love attending church but it flows out of the fact that I'm a daughter or a son of God. Why don't you let them see your acceptance and let them see your identity and let them see that they belong and that you're not silently judging them because we know that we, know that we love and we know that we've got a heart connection. And over time, they want to know, what are mum and dad on about? I've never seen, I've never heard the old man apologise in all of his life. Now he's apologised because he tried to ask me to come to church. I think dad's on something. Well, you are. You're on the acceptance of Jesus. And then what if they saw solid convictions that come out of acceptance, not that come out of musts or shoulds or have tos or ought tos or got tos? What if the currency of the kingdom really is acceptance? And what if you can do it because you're accepted? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that in Jesus we see your heart toward us. Inclusive, accepting, engaging, inviting, compelling, transforming. Holy Spirit, we welcome you to give us the heart of Jesus the practice of Jesus to show us the heart and, and mind of the Father. To be accepting of people for who they are, for where they are. And to allow you to bring the change into their hearts and lives. Would you work that in me? Would you work that in us? Would you work that in a community? And would you work that across the globe? 
We pray this, Jesus, in your name, because we are accepted by you and you are our king.